to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. We are here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Erica was unable to join us today, so we're just rolling old school, the three of us. Uh, and of course, Mandra Ash is always listening in. It's nice to know that she's there to, to listen over us. Uh, guys, we'll, we'll catch up quickly, but we got a lot to talk about today. A lot of stuff's going on, I feel like, in pop culture and culture in general. Uh, and also, Shane, uh, I don't know if we'll make a promo of this, but your hair is getting very long and, and luxurious. Like, it's got a very yeah, nice I, flow. Yeah, it's hard to notice your own hair, but we haven't seen each other in a little bit. So, yeah. And I've been wearing a hat when we've been doing our Zoom calls, typically. So, wow. It's, it's very it. silky. Yeah. <laughs> conditioner. I, I use conditioner. Wow. I think that's it. Before we started rolling, I, I was telling Shane that I think he looks like uh, Tom Cruise from Vanilla Sky. That era mm. of Tom Cruise. Yeah, high compliment. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot of people might argue that. And Max might be one of those people with that big, long, mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was actually saying, mm, in a jealous kind of way, because I just watched the Sean Mendez documentary that just came out on Crave. Um, and his hair. His hair is really long right now, and it's funny to think about him a couple of years ago when it was shorter, but his long hair looks amazing, and I wish that I could do that, but when I try to grow up my hair, it just comes and becomes this big puffy afro. So I just, I, I have dreams of having a like nice, long, cool hair, but it just looks like a terrible, like, Jufro, which nobody wants, you know? Your hair is looking longer, though, Max. It is, but it just kind of goes up, then poofy. It's it, it can't do the cool Sean Mendes thing, and it can't do the cool Shane Cunningham thing either. Mm. Oh, thank you. Yeah, what do you think of that doc? Like, how do you think Sean comes off? Uh, a couple things. Well, one, I think he's couldn't be sweeter. Uh, he was uh, like. He's so, sort of born into such good fortune. You know, we often joke about how, like, I'm sort of like my natural disposition is sort of eager to please, generally kind of happy-go-lucky, whatever. He is me times a thousand and uh, a thousand times better looking and um, more charming. And he has two parents that love him. He's very well adjusted. <laughs> it's just like, he's so... Your, your he parents is... love you, though. No, yeah. no, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Just my, if your parents, parents are listening, they're going to think that you're highlighting No, no, no. I did... yeah. No, sorry. I left talking about myself back to Sean Mendes. His parents love him. He's very well adjusted. He seems to have a great relationship with Camilla. Uh, the one kind of funny thing that I was joking with Ash is that he carries his own acoustic guitar so much. And I'm just like, Sean, why are you lifting anything? I don't carry my own, my own acoustic guitar. You've seen those guitar. biceps, though. It's been paying off. I suppose maybe that's the difference between his biceps and mine is that he carries his own stuff. But it was just funny to see him lug an acoustic guitar around because if because I don't do that at all when we're oh, on. It's tour. all for the like, cameras though. He's trying to look cool. I think I feel like yeah. he's so aware of the cameras. Mm. Like in the sh- in the shower scene, he, he's acting oh, like yeah. he he's not wearing swim trunks. He's just acting like he's being filmed. <laughs> it's like no, no. At least make a joke about how there's a camera filming you. Like it's may, way may, too sexy. You don't think that he was nude for that that opening scene? Who's the camera person then? There was movement to the camera. It's not mm. like he, a tripod was just set up. You think he was full on nude showering know. with maybe the camera? He, maybe maybe he's a nudist. I don't know. Hey, but d- d- it makes you like him though a lot, don't you say? Like he's a very sweet guy. I, I'm kind of oh, rooting for him. He's definitely nice, but it, mm. he did feel very art performative type that could potentially get on your nerve. Like, he's always singing to himself. That's kind of annoying. <laughs> sure. Like, I found that Alex and I were a little irritated with his little artistic flares, I'll call them. Well, I'd say the only fault, I'd say, and it's not it's not his fault, 
is that he was just like born into this life where when he talks about it, it's like, you know, when you're an artist and everybody loves you all the time and people are just telling you how great you are, that can be, and that can be really hard. And you're, and, but you want to be like, hey, 99% of artists never hear that. <laughs> you know I mean? Most artists are just constantly being reminded that they're broke and that nobody gives a shit about them. So he sort of <laughs> lives in this like blissful world that I think he's like somewhat unaware of. But, um, you know, uh, God bless him because uh, when it comes to somebody in that position, it's hard to be that sort of sweet and well-adjusted. And, and he and he totally is that. The opening quote is very cool of the doc, just how he's saying his ego, like when he's on stage, his, his mm-hmm. ego gets the best of him. And then he has the first note that's inevitably flat. And then he loses his ego and just enjoys the music again. I did like that well, part. Well, he's been, um, I listened to his interview with Zane Lowe on Apple Music, and he's really inspired by Eat, Pray, Love and that, and that author. And so I think he's been reading a lot of that sort of like self-help, that style of like, let the world come to you, you know, his like manifest journal. Like, I think he's into that. So I can understand getting behind those sort of, those, those sort of ideas. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we weren't planning on talking about Sean Mendes for five minutes off the top. Mike, yeah, how are you sorry, doing, buddy? <laughs> sorry, Mike. I know you hadn't seen the movie. I didn't mean to like leave you out of a conversation. No, it was between that doc and the John Belushi doc. And I was like, I don't know which one I'm going to watch. Potato, potato. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I went with the John Belushi doc, uh, who, who also is a very well-adjusted and beautiful person. Um, no, and also this is like a, it's, 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 it's a good uh, segue, I think, into our first topic, uh, guys, because we are talking about artists. We're talking about Sean Mendez. Uh, this brings us to the Grammys and, uh, and the weekend who made some news, uh, recently because obviously the Grammy nominations came out. Uh, a lot of artists, uh, you know, they, they sit around, they get very excited. I saw Haim had posted how excited they were about their nominations. Um, Unfortunately, The weekend did not get nominated, uh, and he wasn't going to go quiet into that good night. Uh, he decided to get on the old Twitter, and he simply tweeted, <laughs> the Grammys the Grammys remain corrupt, period. You owe me, my fans, and the industry <laughs> transparency. Um, yeah, so that came out, and we can talk about that. And, and there has been issues in the last year or two about the Grammys and sort of the decision-making board that they have there and how they do things. Uh, but then, Max, you pointed out, because I did not see this on Twitter until today, you sent it to the pod group, that the killers decided to jump in on this and said that, in all caps, observers were not allowed into the counting rooms. We won the Grammys, got loads of legal votes. Bad things happened, which our observers were not allowed to see. Never happened before. Dozens of ballots were sent to people who never asked for them. Rigged Grammys. Hashtag we won. Uh, <laughs> that's a funny moment from a band that's not always funny. The killers yeah. don't have the reputation of doing that kind of Twitter commentary. So I kind of enjoyed it. They're they were having a little dig at Trump and the, and the fraudulent election of 2020 that trump has been campaigning on and uh so the weekend more- was being serious yeah like he, he wasn't doing the same thing <laughs> no Dead he's been wrong yeah. yeah oh no you're sure though that's <laughs> weird that's weird could you imagine if he wasn't though like actually we all took it too seriously and the weekend's like just joking man i don't actually care but are well, we only taking it seriously because we know the weekend as a serious guy like if mm. let's say it was blink 182 who released this <laughs> statement would we be like oh that's clearly a joke that, that's, that's a great that's a great point i don't think the weekend is known for a sense of humor so if he's pulling a, a big prank on us then good for the weekend but well, he uh, wore that but, funny but outfit the- on the red carpet 
recently where it wasn't a funny outfit but it was an interesting statement like he had just yeah, been in a car accident <laughs> it wasn't like he was like uh, the dudes from south park showing up to the oscars <laughs> like for a joke he was doing that artistically you know like yeah, that was but like, he's kind of like if he was a comedian it would be more <laughs> the andy kaufman style of comedy i feel like are you calling him the andy kaufman of music is that what we're, 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 in a way yeah i, I think okay. that would be a, a parallel there <laughs> I I I think because also there was like this whole controversy about the way that the Grammys uh, they do choose the nominees. Like I think someone on the board was was forced out, and then she had like a big expose. So this was been something that's in the news, and it's sort of the integrity of the the, the Grammy system has been under attack for the last year. I can't exactly remember the. But the article when was there well. ever integrity in the Grammys? Like Vanilla Ice has won one, Millie Vanilli, Zach <laughs> Zach Braff won a Grammy for Garden State soundtrack. Like it's not. <laughs> Like there's not a, like a some uh, uh, I don't think it's the same as the Oscars where it's super elite to win a Grammy. I, well, let's ask the resident musician. You know, Max, wh- how do you view the Grammys? Do you see them as an authentic sort of uh, a, a, a marker of your talent or, or your worth or whatever it is? Like people clearly love. I think for musicians, Grammys are Oscars, Shane. Yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely a big deal, and it kind of. But it depends on like the artist. I think it's funny. Somebody like Phoebe Bridgers, I think, uh, who I really like and admire. I think would normally roll their eyes at the Grammys because the idea of like winning an award for music might seem silly on its surface. But she got nominated, I think, for four awards and clearly it was a big deal for her. So I think there's that camp who would roll their eyes, but if they were nominated or won, they'd be kind of over the moon about and it would actually mean something. And then I think there's the other camp um, that is very serious about it and, you know, their success or the way they feel about their career really hinges on being respected. And I think the weekend falls in that category where it's just like good because I'm in the I think I'm a little bit more I I lean to the former ca- category and I'm just like it's an award show. It's great to be recognized. If you don't, who cares? I think the killers are of that mind in making that tweet. But I think the weekend are more like you disrespected me and this is a problem. And I think you see that a little bit more in the hip hop world. I think like that that idea of like getting respect from your peers and from institutions is really important. Um and so uh, I see both sides. I tend to, yeah, lean on the who gives a shit side. <laughs> but uh, but it's it, but the thing which is kind of interesting is that every year there's always some issue. And the same thing with the Oscars, where it's like they snub Taylor Swift in another year, but this year she's back and she seems to be happy. Uh, or they they haven't, you know, when it comes to the Oscars, so white. There's been issues uh, in that vein when it comes to. The Grammys. And this year, like uh, the band uh, Black Pumas, they were nominated, I think, for Best Rock Album of the Year. And I don't even really know that band. And in terms of popularity or their sort of hold on the culture, it doesn't seem to be, you know, that present, uh, especially over a band like The Killers. But they were nominated. And and I think a lot of people would say that's a win. uh, You know, there's a black lead singer in that band. And that's awesome. So there's progress being made, I guess, when it comes to recognizing certain groups that don't always get recognized. But then they also didn't recognize The Weeknd, who is the halftime performer of this year's Super Bowl, which also seems kind of crazy. Yeah, but that's just like a pop gig. That doesn't mean you are you need that artistic credibility. That, apparently that record's the really good. The, weekend, the Weeknd's really good, though, that, that, that record. Well, I think it's- what would you rather win? Uh, an Oscar for playing a song on a soundtrack? Or a Grammy for one of your albums? Ooh, I think I'd rather win a Grammy because it's... Uh, no, you wouldn't. I, I, well, I mean, but but you asked a specific question. If I directed a movie or starred in a movie, 
Maybe I'd want to win. You would an Oscar love to more. go to the Oscars and rub shoulders with Leo and Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you care way more about that. You know what? No? I think you're Am right. I wrong? You know, you, you know, you're right. I think you're right because I don't really give a shit about hanging out with musicians because I see them all the time. I think it'd be more entertaining to hang out with some. Yeah, you got to think about everything here. Like the show <laughs> is a big part of it, and all the uh, shoulders you could rub with, and they'd be That's very true. impressed by you. So, as a networking device. Uh, Oscars. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Think of all the friends you'd come out with. Uh, that's true. All, all yeah. the sort of uh, TikToks I could make when I when I'm sending them PS5s and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where where do you guys stand uh, on this? Like, do you feel that like artists should be getting outraged or everybody should take a chill pill? Mike, what do you think? Oh, I mean. I, I understand the impulse of the weekend to be like, you know, he probably was really proud of this record. He probably put, you know, a year of his life into it, whatever that looks like. And, you know, all of his peers getting nominated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I would think that you would have the, like complaining about it to me at this point in sort of time when sort of society is crumbling and we're just trying to get through a pandemic seems so like uh, hilariously frivolous in some ways. That it is entertaining because you're like, ah, like what I'm saying is I can empathize with him. I'm sure the impulse was there. I would have like wrote the tweet and then I would have listened to other people that said, nah, there's no need to do that. But again, he's, he's owns the news, a news cycle. So he might say, you know, it is what it is. But in general, do I think that someone is successful who's playing the Super Bowl halftime show? You know what I mean? Uh, should complain about a perceived slight from like, you know, a subjective award. Eh, you know, if it makes him sleep better at night, then fire away that tweet, man. But I, I wouldn't, but I'm not the weekend, so. Shane, how would you handle this? I would probably do like an 18-minute stand-up gig. Fully, <laughs> fully explaining it. <laughs> we are going to get to Chappelle in a bit. That well, is be- because the weekend seems to know something here. It seems to be a similar situation to the Chappelle thing where he says they need to be transparent. Like there's some transparency issues. So the weekend knows something that obviously the public doesn't. So it would be very funny, I think, and shocking because apparently he's so serious for him to release an 18 minute stand up gig where he copies the Chappelle thing and drops the mic and everything like that. Let's get right into the Chappelle thing. I think yeah. this is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Dave Chappelle who just dropped, like Shane said, like an 18 uh, minutes, essentially stand up. Uh, performance um, where he discusses in a roundabout way sort of times in his life where he has felt uh, taken advantage of or exploited or powerless. And this all ends up leading up to him discussing uh, the circumstances surrounding Chappelle's show and how that show is out of his control and is being streamed on different platforms, how it makes him feel. uh, And then he appeals to sort of, you know, what he calls the real boss, uh, the fans, the people that are into him to basically put pressure uh, on HBO Max to stop streaming the show or the original owners, Viacom, I think NBC, whatever, to maybe strike a new deal with Dave so that he has a more equitable share in this thing that he created that is of him that is owned by somebody else. Uh, but it seems to have resonated. It has well over 3 million views just on the Insta, um, in- Instagram TV or whatever that it's on. Uh, but yeah, let's let's jump right into this. Guys, what were your thoughts when you all watched it? Because it was, it was in the Champagne Boys group. Our friends all sort of piped up about it. People had different thoughts. And like anything Chappelle does, very compelling, very thought-provoking, uh, but also fascinating for, I think, a myriad of issues. So let's get to initial thoughts. Uh, who wants to take the first, the, the Shane, first shot? You, you, you take it off. Well, one, didn't you think that audience was totally, like, fucked up? 
Like that audience <laughs> was was terrible. Didn't you notice they they didn't they laugh were laughing at, any, at the wrong parts? They the wrong, yeah, they were wrong, parts. wrong cues. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, so he goes on uh, in it about how he was uh, screwed over with his contract, and then he's like, and uh, then I notice it's on HBO. And I notice it's on HBO Max and it's on Netflix. And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. Hold on. No, no. Listen to me. <laughs> then he, he explains it to them, how he got fucked. And they're like, ooh, okay, we get it now. And he's like, and I might, I might think about doing the Chappelle show again. He pauses expecting for an applause. There's nothing. So he goes, oh, oh hold on. He pretends there's an applause. He's like, but, but, but wait. And then he goes, uh, but if I do. I can't even use my name and likeness because they own me in the contract. And it's this big, powerful moment. Pause. Everyone kind of busts out into laughter and applause and starts hooting and hollering. No, that's the part. It's supposed to be dead silent and poignant. But the audience, did, it was like the t- completely wrong audience. So I, I found that to be fascinating. And I was laughing a little bit at that. And it took a little bit of power out of what he was saying. Well, okay, this is what I was thinking about is that like it wasn't the reason why it was probably confusing for the audience is that it Chappelle does this thing where he's not even telling jokes. He's just storytelling. So this is why it's confusing. So people keep waiting for a punchline and there wasn't really a punchline. They were guessing wrong at the wrong time. They were just getting like when Kramer was apologizing for saying the N word on, I I think he went on like Letterman Letterman, and everyone started howling. Yeah. Basically, that that's classic. You look that up, but yeah, the guy who plays Kramer, Michael Richards, gets in trouble, and then Seinfeld happens to be on Letterman, and to do his like his friend a favor, he's like, "We're gonna bring Michael Richards on to apologize," and it's like via satellite, and because he's like Kramer, he's trying to be like serious, but he's like he just has certain vocal tics where the crowd's like laughing, and Jerry has to be like, "It's not funny." He's like, come on, <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> and Jerry's being funny too. Yeah. And the, <laughs> so 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 i totally know what you're saying shane and max like about words just so so people when he's like uh and you know uh why i'm not mad at netflix is because when this all happened to me they weren't even a company i don't think yeah. that was supposed to be a punchline necessarily but people were just so hungry for a punchline that they all kind of uncomfortably laugh at it and then yeah. he moves on it, totally well it's funny because it kind of reminded me um of when we would have signed our first record deal back in 2008 uh, and streaming didn't exist. So at first I thought it was making a joke about Netflix. Like Netflix wasn't a company. That's why I, I, li- I liked them is because I don't have this like baggage. I do them. think that was a joke though. Yeah. I don't think it was, it was a great knee slapper, but I do think that was pretty funny and no, broke but the I, I, a little bit. No, but I think the, the, no. the actual point that he was getting to wasn't a joke at all. It was just that it was like these contracts that say we own you for the universe in perpetuity like are, are fundamentally unfair because – I was signing my name to a paper for something that didn't even exist yet, like a streaming service that wasn't even real. So how can I give my permission to something that actually didn't exist, which is is which is like a fundamental unfairness. Yeah, and but I, the and joke he's that. making is I like Netflix because they weren't even in existence to, to agree to this terrible clause. I don't I think that might just part of this journey of his storytelling. Though. That, I'm not 100 percent convinced that was a joke, like a punchline. Yeah. Oh, I, I disagree, but yeah, yeah I, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Um, Me too. But the in the part two uh, that I thought was kind of like, obviously it's an awesome thing. Everyone should check it out. And I do think it's very powerful and I'm totally on Dave's side. But the part when he's like talking about how Netflix is so kind because he simply asked them to remove it and they did, which a lot of business people wouldn't do. 
That's still a business move by Netflix. Like, let's not kid sure. ourselves. Netflix has his specials. Netflix paid him the $50 million for those specials. And you know Dave's a loose cannon who's part of the culture. Like, Dave is the culture. Mm-hmm. He controls the the ebbs and flows. Like, you know, that crowd didn't even understand how to feel until Dave had to sh- jam it down their throats. So Netflix just did that to, to protect themselves. It wasn't some kind gesture. And if they had no business with Dave... They would have kept the special on there, but the fact well, this, is, they're they're in partnership with Dave. This gets to the larger issue with the construct of what Dave did and what he's attempting to expose a light on. Like, like you know, his main beef is basically essentially saying that these contracts are predatory when you get into them when you're a young artist or you're naive and you don't you don't know what you're doing, but you do it because you have the promise of getting a show. Let's say, and like you said, he was a 28 year old father, and you know, he he, what else was he going to do? So it's like. There's a real beef with the construct, like you said, like what the reality of how it all works and how these companies basically get everything they can in a contract. And then they're going to go, hey, this is like a negotiation is its own art. And if you don't have proper representation, and by the way, it's like everything in life when it comes to like a negotiation is about leverage. And at that point in time, the company had the leverage. Doesn't mean what they did was right. Doesn't mean that the contract wasn't bullshit. Absolutely not. But it's like, what do we do to change the nature of the business in that sense? Because maybe the company, maybe the, the network says, well, you know what? We we actually did 150 of those contracts and we gave it over $20 million to different artists and you're the one that hit. But all the rest of that money, we had to eat and no, nobody became Dave Chappelle. You know, there's some comedian in LA that signed a similar deal, got one season of his show and it went away. Like it's there's all these moving parts. Yeah, um, that's why you make those those contracts and you sign a contract like that because you need them more than they need you. And you're yes. not necessarily, if it's a huge hit, you're not getting paid for that hit. You're getting paid for your next project that's going to get you the money when you have the leverage. It's like Austin Powers 1 made Mike Myers no money. But Austin Powers 2, which isn't as good as a movie, arguably, made him a shit ton of money. Right? He, but he 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 didn't go back and ask to get paid a higher amount on Austin Powers one. But that being said, when you make a company an astronomical amount of money like the Chappelle show did, you'd think they would throw him a little something just as a grand kind gesture. Like here's a million or two bucks, which would still well, this, be this pe- peanuts in the grand for. scheme of things. Yeah. No, he's now he, I don't think he's asking for peanuts now. I think he wants a legitimate negotiation because that, that moment has passed for, for the kind gesture. I think now he, he wants a piece of the pie. And to your point, Shane, like if they were sort of more prudent business people, they'd go, you know what? It's in our best interest to negotiate with Dave because if we play our cards right, maybe he'll do another Chappelle season. If we had just been like willing partners as opposed to saying, sorry, bro, you signed the deal, they could have actually, everybody could have won. And then that's sort of the argument for kind of doing the right thing because the rising tide lifts all boats and we can all win together. Um, but but I do like that that point. And I, I struggle with this because, Mike, you, you hit on the head there where – it's like, you know, they, on one hand, yes, they invested, you know, in uh, countless other TV shows that lost money or made no money. Uh, and so that allowed Chappelle, you know, the Chappelle show to be made and that's where they get their money back. But then on the other hand, it's like, but they're making so much money. It's like, what's fair? I just don't know exactly what is fair in this situation. And the other thing is, is like to Austin Powers example, is that it's, it's not like Chappelle went broke it's like the the deal he he got basically from holding out on the Chappelle show for all those years where he was sort of seemingly inactive he ended up with what like a 
a 60 i don't know what the number but those that three uh stand up um three the three netflix special deal was like tens of millions of dollars and that's because his brand and the legend of dave had grown so much because he walked away from the comedy center so it's like i know it can feel icky on one hand but you've also kind of played your cards cards right to become the biggest most well-paid comedian in the world which i'm like oh and then it kind of worked out and it's annoying that people are making money off you for sure and i know here's the other thing there's a, a long and brutal history of like white businessmen taking advantage of black performers so that it's, it's also couched in all of that which i completely understand that kind of pain and hurt when it comes to the history there but it's just like it's also kind of worked out for you for you specifically and if you're fighting a battle on behalf of like younger black artists and that's really virtuous and good too so that, I don't know, there's like all these things that are happening at once in this conversation and i don't personally know how completely to feel about it because it's like yes of course i always support the artists yes of course always fuck business people that give artists raw deals fuck them fuck them fuck them but on the other hand i'm like well Chappelle, you kind of played it perfectly and your life is kind of awesome in a way that it, you could have never imagined because you handled it in this way so i don't know mm-hmm yeah, but I, I think it it just happened to work out. There's many stories where something like that wouldn't work out. Like, I don't know, a guy like Mickey Rourke, maybe. I would then make the, if I were to do one, if I were to give Chappelle one note on this transcendent 18-minute special that he that he came out, he put out, I'd maybe add that. I'd say, and you know, by the way, I, I'm pissed off about this. I think these guys are making way more money off my back. They're, they've been assholes to deal with. Fuck them. But I'm rich. I don't give a sh- I actually don't need another dollar for the rest of my life. But it's not me. It's about Mickey Rourke and it's about my other buddy who got fucked, who didn't actually get to hold out and sign a deal with Netflix for $65 million. It's about all these artists that have done really good work and got so so this is why we need to rethink about how these contracts work. Or something like that. That's what I would that'd be my, the max tweak to make it feel a little bit more universal. Yeah, there's like there's something very specific, obviously, about Dave's story, and then also universal, especially the stories about you know feeling like um, taken advantage of. Like that's something people can relate to. But I, I do wonder, and I kind of got this. It's like it's it's there's there's this thing that's just accepted now, and when it comes to business, like the adversarial nature of business that we sort of like celebrate in some ways in in our culture, and it's like. It's just kind of accepted that like, well, both sides need to try and get whatever they can at all costs. And then we try to sort of soften it. You'll hear like business people suits be like, no, it's a partnership, man. It's a partnership. But then to Shane's point, it's like, well, Netflix benefits from like listening to Dave on this one. But in five years, if Dave's not in business with them, they're probably going to stream the Chappelle show. And it's like, it's, it's, it's like there's something. And I think this is what Dave gets to, which I think really works in his 18 minutes is basically it's like. It's it's wrong. You know what I mean? It feels wrong on some level. And it's like, but I don't know how you correct that um, because Dave's going to do what's best for him too. Like, look what he's doing. So here's my other question though. At the end of it all, I was like, what are we, What it, what is this fundamentally? I'm like, fundamentally, he's getting to this thing, like to something that's personal. Some people, you've probably been taken advantage of in your life at some point. So what he's saying is visceral to you. You, you hear his pain, you feel what he's saying. On a very sort of like practical level, to Max's point, this is a millionaire that's that is upset that he's not getting what he thinks he deserves. But ostensibly, he already has all of this stuff. So I wonder, as a viewer or for other viewers, how does that play in the sense of like when people are concerned about where they might get their next meal during a pandemic? Do they 
is that a cause that people care about or does it feel like such inside baseball Hollywood shit that people are like, what? Okay. Like I, I, I get what he's saying, but it's like, do I care? You know, because he, he ends by a call to action to mobilize his fans to basically like put pressure, I guess, on the streamer to pay him more. It's an interesting sort of cause to take up, although noble in an overall sense. Like, how do you guys think that that sort of like plays just as like the, his basic ask? Yeah, I think that it, it plays well. I think people like average people who are going through their own shit still like number one to hear celebrities talk about their problems like in songs it's just like look at the justin bieber sean mendes song monster about basically it's like if i don't do exactly what's expected of me from my fans you think i'm a monster like like there's a long history of celebs sort of complaining about you know the the cards they've been dealt and people seem to kind of find it interesting and end up rooting for them uh but i'd also say that Chappelle is is more compelling than that because he, he he couches it in the language of like slavery even. It's like I'm running from one slave owner to the nicer slave owner. And I think that hits home, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, so I don't think it's um, the issue of like people going like, this guy is sort of out to lunch and I don't understand him. Shane, what do you think? Yeah, it's all about fairness and being fucked over. That's the message. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah. money is irrelevant. If we, let's just say we were talking about points and we needed a certain amount of points. Somebody took his points away that were for him and meant and meant for him. And, and once you get to a certain level of wealth, money is just like points and respectability and principled. Or who knows? Maybe Dave Chappelle wants to buy a an NFL team one day and start a charity and have all these big plans because he seems like a guy who would actually do big things with his money and start big, important, relevant things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think the big distinction. Is like, and you you always find the universal in the specific, even though it's specific to Dave's story. Is he's basically saying, yeah, I signed a contract. Yeah, technically, they're allowed to do this, but ultimately, it's wrong. It's fucking wrong. And how do you correct it? You know. And I think that's just a bigger conversation about how we all go about like business or the way that big corporations work when sort of dealing with you know when when they have the leverage because this is an interesting situation. It's kind of an interesting experiment because Dave does have leverage and he's trying to wield it now to see what it, what what will happen you know what i mean as he mobilizes his 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 audience uh against you know the people that are streaming his stuff and we'll see if it ultimately ends max you brought it up maybe maybe dave just wants to do another Chappelle show but he doesn't want to do it if it's owned by somebody else like he wants to own his name again in order to sort of do this thing that he probably wants to uh have some fun creating again yeah and i also think that um yeah but i just digging into this idea of fairness um you know you see headlines where it's like Elon Musk, you know, is now, you know, $100 billion more rich now than he was at the beginning of the pandemic. And you just go, ah, oh, there's just something fundamentally unfair about that, you know? And and I think that's a topic that's been on the top of people's mind a lot lately. And I think that's why it also, I think, really resonated where it's like, ah, oh, there's just like people that just keep really getting richer and... I wish there was a conversation we could have with those people to be like, you know, this isn't fair. And you being able to renegotiate things is something I think people are really yearning for. Hey, um, I really liked it being 18 minutes. You know, like I obviously love stand-up comedy. Uh, A special usually is about an hour. That's like the typical form. If you go to a comedy club, though, like, you know, we've been to the comedy store in L.A., where you see a lot of heavy hitters work on the material. It's usually, you know, 15 minute sets. And I've always kind of enjoyed that length. 
um, and sometimes when you see an hour long special, there's a there's maybe like twenty minutes that's just not that great. Wait, what did you think of that format as like a consumable piece in twenty twenty that you throw on on your phone? It was on it was, it was put posted on Instagram. What, what, what do you make of that length? Uh, it worked for me. Clearly, he had something very specific he wanted to get off his chest uh, in that moment. I will say, just as a like, so say that that had been an hour on Instagram TV or whatever, right? I, I definitely wouldn't have watched it right away. But you look at you 18 minutes, like I'm watching this right now. Whereas I probably yeah. would have parked it and then let it sit for two days until I actually had an hour to sit down and watch my Dave Chappelle bit. But I was like 18. I'm like, I've absolutely got 18 minutes right now. So it actually gets people to watch it immediately, I think, by being shorter, which is one thing. And I think it worked as a self-contained uh, piece. Shaney, what did you think? Oh, like I've been watching things this way for years, so over 10 years. Because even if it was an hour special, there'd be someone who would distill it. And that, that's actually what I thought happened. I thought this was part of a larger bit that was pared down and made for Instagram. But yeah, I, I always consume stand-up bits this way for the reasons Max was just saying. It's hard to do a, like a, a full hour that is hilarious. Maybe Chris Rock pulled it off, but I can't think of anyone else who really has. Is there anybody, like, I mean, all the greats sort of are unique in their own way if you're thinking about like Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, Mulaney, Chris Rock. What about Chappelle, Shane, do you think is so compelling about his his delivery style? Well, I, there's something I like about not trying to be funny. And a big part of comedy, too, is surprise. And there's some comedians that have such a predictable rhythm, especially if you're more like a one-line joke artist. You know the joke is coming. It's it's one of the reasons that turns me off about that uh, that really rude, crude, not rude, but crude comedian that you like, Anthony Jeselnik. Because for me, it's so predictable where he goes every time. And what I like about Chappelle is I never know when it's going to be the punchline or if it's just going to be a, a long meandering story. But even if it is a story, it's compelling because he speaks with such power and his pauses are always in the right place. So I don't necessarily need to laugh when I'm watching Chappelle. And like, yeah, he's like even when, when, that, when that was, yeah, when that was done, I was like, ah, oh, that was that was great stand up. But I wasn't mm. like, oh, this was so funny here. Like, you're going to piss yourself. I wouldn't send that to my friend. Mike, what do you think that, that makes uh, Chappelle so special? I, I think I think what, you know, Shane was saying, I, th- I think you, you, you said that Chappelle is like the culture. He's his own sort of culture and can sway things like I like I think Chappelle right now is occupying a place and who knows how long it will last or you know what I mean? Because like these things do ebb and flow. But right now he seems to have this sort of like. He has people's attention and the sort of power uh, to sway conversation, to provoke conversation, and people listen. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a lot of comedians, and if they put out 18 minutes, you know what I mean? Would they have been as compelling and powerful? Like when they said that Chappelle was hosting SNL two weeks ago, or whatever it was, it's like that. There was a buzz. It ended up being the highest rated SNL in like four years or something like that. You know, and it's like it's like that. That is special to have that kind of power. And to Shane's point. They're, like he doesn't even he doesn't even need jokes. You're just there for the journey. You're kind of on a ride with him, like almost like a, I don't know, like a motivational speaker. Like it, it it almost transcends comedy and just becomes this thing you you kind of like listen to. You want to hear his thoughts. It's like um, the Nanette style. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And and it's kind of it's kind of surprising me that he did, there wasn't more jokes in there because that's kind of always been what he traditionally did. He will take you on those journeys, but there are like you know, gut bustingly funny segues or like punchlines that he'll drop in. Yeah. This say 18 minutes didn't have, have that, but you are completely compelled, you know, from the opening with the, the comedian sort of taking the joke about the, the good year. And then, 
you know we've the, heard him do that construct before by the way mike do you remember he used that opening he's like when i was 15 years old i was introduced and i believe it was with with you and i were together yeah he he used that and he led it somewhere different but yeah. he did say i'll never forget it and i because i remember the chapel part getting a laugh yeah but it just and then he just plucked that part out and used it for this one also, when he ta- when he started discussing the 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 guy that was doing the three card Monty mm-hmm. and basically like you know g- yeah. gets gets the money from him on like the boardwalk or whatever, in, in that analogy because it's like oh yeah it's you, flawed because you end up having sympathy mm. for for the scammer yeah yeah but the scammer and his friends are ultimately the the network the rec- and then he uses it as a, analogous to the the network yeah so then you're like wait what is this are and dave then, and, are, is dave the three card monty guy well you at the end mean? at the end dave is the three card yeah. Monty guy so it's this cyclical thing where everyone is just this like corporate vulture or whatever so it it was because well, cool the lesson is thing. like it tied in well, it's like, yeah, because you're right, because it's confused, because like, because the lesson I learned was never get between a man and his dinner or a man and his money. Yeah, his meal. Yeah, his meal. Man and his meal. And so I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to get between your meal, but I also, I'm not allowed to get between the meal with the corporate executives at Comedy Central, because they're, Because let's not money. forget, Dave walked out on the contract, too. He fucked over a lot of people, and people potentially could have lost their jobs when he went to Africa, which was his right to do so, but there there could be a penalty for that, right, that you need to be aware of. Yeah. So it's just like, who am I? Yeah, it was a flawed uh, metaphor. Um, hey, actually, I was having this conversation uh, with Ash, because we, we were just talking about, like, stand-up comics that we love. Uh, who would you want to hang out with the most of your favorites, like living stand-up comics? And who would you be like, I love this guy, but I would, it would be a terrible hang because this guy's a, a, a nut or just would be uncomfortable. Uh, Mike, uh, go ahead. I, I would, I would enjoy hanging out with Ricky Gervais mm. just cause I don't know Ricky Gervais, obviously, but like his Twitter presence, he seems to like a good pint. He just, he seems like, um, a very funny guy, but also just a thoughtful guy that you could probably have a hard laugh with for 20 minutes and then literally get into something deep for an hour. Like I just, so he'd be my hang, my version, although I do find him interesting, but I just don't know if I could handle that energy all the time would maybe like Russell Brand. Mm. Yeah. Good, good answer. Shane. A Norm McDonald would be good to hang with. Like really one, fun. Huh? I think David Spade was another one who'd be good for me. I, I like, um, uh, who would turn me off that I kind of do like their comedy would maybe be Gilbert Godfrey. Because <laughs> I, I do like his comedy. You want comedy. another drink, Shane? Shane, do you want another drink? <laughs> but it would be interesting to see if he really does talk like that because I heard that's not his true voice. It's like a put on. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And, and there's this I, video of him leaving a message on Howard Stern's answering machine where his voice is nothing like that. He was like, yeah. Howard, Howard, can you call me back? What are you? No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. It's no, it's, it's a very normal voice, but <laughs> it, it could be a hoax. I'm not 100% on it. Quick question about voices. Max, this is specifically for you. So there's been times, so like uh, people listen to this, but you didn't know I was like in a band, whatever, we toured with you guys, all that stuff. And like my, my singing voice was always, like it's my natural kind of singing voice. But there's times where I thought about if you do like, like, I'm like, I wonder if I had just did a fake voice, like, like that made it sound more like, cause I listened to some artists, like the guy from, um, what's that, that band, uh, uh, the guy and the girl. Oh my God. I'm blanking on them. They've been on the podcast. I can't believe this. Sophie no. Tucker. Sophie Tucker. No, man. No, okay. Uh, the guy, the guy sings really low. 
Oh, the, oh, the frog voice man. No, the frog July guy. Talk, July, talk, July, yes. talk. July talk. July talk. July talk. So I'm like, I'm like, that becomes its own hook in a weird way. And if you just stick with it, like it becomes an identifying feature. This is what Gilbert Godfrey reminded me of. Like people that think of these sort of like hooks that become their identifying feature. Max, have you ever thought of sort of like, or is just the voice you had, the voice you had? Uh, no, the voice I have is the voice I have. And I don't particularly love it, but it seems to be doing the job. Uh, but actually, funny that you bring this up. Uh, so I'm actually very exhausted right now because we were filming a music video uh, last yeah, what night. You, I was told that we weren't allowed to talk about it. We're not, we're not going to get into the details of it, but I'm bringing this up because uh, we were up till four in the morning uh, yeah. shoot, shooting this thing. And part, I'm wearing this kind of ridiculous jacket, which... Um, <laughs> I, I found off the street yesterday, which is another story in itself. But um, I had to wake up early this morning for a conference call and I was walking over to the Starbucks. I'm almost at the Starbucks. I'm wearing Adidas track pants, the bright orange Arkells hat, and <laughs> this long overcoat that goes down to my knees that's like a yellow plaid. So I look kind of insane. <laughs> I get to the Starbucks and I realize I don't have my mask with me, but I have a pickup order to go. So I'm like, Fuck. So I kind of opened the door. I'm like, hey, um, I have an order for Max. Uh, if you could just kind of bring it out to me. I don't want to enter the store without my mask on. And then the one other guy waiting for his coffee turns around. He's like, Max from Arkells? And he turns around <laughs> and he sees me. And he's like, I recognize your voice. And, he, and, he, and he's like, how's it going? I'm a big fan. I saw your show in Kingston a year ago. And I just look like a crazy person. So like, you know when you see celebs that are just, just dressed like shit? And you're like, is that how he actually, those like paparazzi <laughs> photos? Uh, I couldn't have looked crazier. I'm like, yeah, hey, man. I was like half asleep. It was very funny. But anyway, point is he recognized my voice. Um, just from talking. So it, it's working. It's fine. Yeah. Well, the, you do go into Starbucks and sing your orders to try and get recognized. That's always been a thing of yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it was, uh, we were shooting this video yesterday uh, in the streets in, in Toronto. It was a very like kind of run and gun gorilla shoot. And uh, this car pulled up, these two young people, and they started kind of screaming like, oh my God, there's Max. I was like, oh, I miss that feeling so much. Oh. I, just, I just haven't got it in months, months and months. It was, it was a really uh, pathetic part of me that I'm embarrassed to admit, but it was nice. But actually, speaking of wearing masks, let's get to the last uh, topic. Uh, don't, don't rush this long. First of all, that was a great tweet, tease because we're going to talk about your video on a future episode. That's mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Two, don't skip over your comedians. Who do you want to hang with? Who annoys you? Okay. I, um, I'd want to hang with, I think, Bill Burr. I think Burr uh, would be like a real like kind of funny hang. He likes football. I think we could have, uh, he likes Boston. He's from Boston. I like talking about Boston stuff. So I think he'd, I think we get along. I think I'd be most intimidated to hang out with like Chris Rock or Chappelle. Not because I don't think we could have a good conversation. I just think I'd be so fucking annoying. You know, when you're like, oh, the worst version of me is coming out because I'm just like turned into a fanboy. I think that would be with with Rock or or Chappelle. So I don't want to hang out with them because I would just be that like lame, annoying guy, and that's how they'd remember me by. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let, let's get to the the last topic here. We got 15 minutes here, Maxi. You're on no sleep. Do we go right to Shane's surprise and do 15 on that, or do we try to fit two in? Wh whatever, Shane. What your call? What is the last topic? I've forgotten it. <laughs> the, that, the barbecue bar guy, barbecue joint in Toronto that. Uh, defiantly opened which i feel like mike you don't want to talk about because it's too depressing what you a big barbecue fan mike <laughs> <laughs> no man i don't even mess with barbecue uh well, no yeah, I, why I would it depress you 
I'll talk about it. No, I'll talk yeah. about it. I'm just. Well, let's I'm see just, if there's time for a surprise. There's time for a surprise. I'm curious I just, now. I just feel like we're in this constant culture war, you know, but we're listening to sort of like this vocal minority of like COVID deniers and like non-mask wearers. And so that sort of intersects with this story where there's this uh, barbecue joint in Toronto. They have a few locations and uh, obviously Toronto has entered like a red zone um, in some surrounding areas uh, because numbers are going up and more than anything, they're projecting that the numbers will be very bad if things stay open uh, at the current sort of level that they're at. So a lot of these places closed. Uh, so small businesses get, they they do, they, they get, they get, you know, annihilated when this thing happens. So like uh, this guy that owns this, um, this barbecue joint basically refused to close and he sort of opened and had indoor dining uh, in defiance uh, of the, the provincial order or I guess whatever from Doug Ford. But um so like this sort of like he, he went on his, his Instagram and he also was like he was fighting with people in the online comments and he was using like the R word uh, to like call. It. So he was just like he was kind of being like a troll and being very sort of like aggressive. So people like fucks up with this guy. Then he sort of like released a video sort of becoming an anti-hero saying like we're staying open. Small businesses are getting screwed. You know, some theories about testing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the, the theories on testing, uh, if you don't know anything about anything. Uh, and I probably put myself in that category. Your ears do kind of perk up. The, the the video was compelling, where you're like, "Oh, huh, okay." Apparently, these tests aren't as good as we think. Like, but but then it's obvious. Obviously, he's not a healthcare professional. He's full of shit, probably. But it's just like, but I understand why people would be like, "Wait a second. Like, how people like, <laughs> go down the YouTube conspiracy theory thing is like, oh, when you put it like that, this is a hoax kind of thing." Yeah, well, it kind of speaks to like if you can speak with confidence and use a couple big words, it's like people are like, "Hey, this guy might be onto something," you know? It's like it's how fucking like that's how carnival barkers work. But I uh, and, and ultimately, I just say that like, and I've said this before. I think on the pod, definitely in private conversations, like I, I like I get it, man. Like these small businesses, they're getting crushed, and they're like they have to close, but then Walmart gets to stay open because they're essential service. You know what I mean? So like they're sitting there they're going like, wait a second, I got to close my place when people can make an independent decision whether or not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then you're letting all these other like massive conglomerate sort of businesses stay open. And it's just, it's it's bad. It's tough uh, and all that. But anyway, it caused like a shit storm and a huge sort of like um, spectacle in Toronto at the location he opened in Etobicoke. And so you had all these like, you know, it really draws the crowd of people that that I just want to go out there and protest. And then the <laughs> the police didn't really shut it down. They kind of moseyed on over there and kind of let the guy run his circus for a bit, even though they've shut down other things very quickly, like, you know, Diwali celebrations. You know what I mean? Like they, the police seem to be on it. But in this situation, there seemed to be a little bit of um, slack given. Anyway, it's become a huge story. Uh, probably way more, a way bigger of a story than it needs to be as far as the people that are actually like feel this way or promoting it. But anyway, here we are. What are your guys thoughts on the story? It's still happening. I just checked Twitter and uh, the bylaw officers came by again. The the restaurant is still open. There's a bunch of supporters out there with signs. It's really turned into a gong show and it really demonstrates like there's no room for error right now. Uh, It's such a delicate balance when, uh, when it comes to like living in COVID. And if the city fucks up, people really are going to react. And this is, and you see this happening in America where it's like these like Trumpian like figures who are very anti-establishment, you know, get a lot of attention because one, people are bored. Two, people are restless and looking for answers. And uh, I, I do actually, I mean, I, I think the way the police handled it, to your point, Mike, in sort of giving him probably too much slack when they shut down other places really quickly 
was a very misguided move and it pisses a lot of people off who are staying at home and abiding by the rules and are and are worried about other sort of social justice initiatives but uh yeah it's just like fuck it's like this is not what we need right now and yeah just just the the balance of this whole situation seems just about impossible uh Shane, did you watch the video I, I watched the video, yeah, and then I saw the video of a guy walking out sneezing. Is that is that related? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. After this whole hub, you know, the, the big brouhaha, and then he allows indoor dining. The news happens to catch in the background for people who haven't seen the video. Some guy <laughs> leaving the restaurant with his takeout and sneezes twice. Like twice. <laughs> Some people have know. double sneezers, though. That's just that's the way true. people hey, sneeze. Yeah, it's sunny. Doesn't outside, mean they have man. COVID necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, I watched the video. I didn't find that guy overly compelling. He just seemed like cookie cutter dude who would feel that way it just feels like yeah you should be oh max left uh what it is so wow this so i heard about this on the radio this morning we all just got an emergency alert because they're testing the systems i think all over canada or all over the province at different times and because max is on his phone here on it uh doing this uh this podcast you cut out max because the emergency alert came up that's right i got it this is what would happen i guess in case of like a, a nuclear disaster of some sort or I thought they were no. just giving an alert for Adamson's Barbecue is now open. <laughs> <laughs> we're back, <Bogo>. baby. <laughs> it's Everyone's an amber alert. A- amber, amber alert for some good barbecue. It, philosophically, uh, my question for you two is, do you think that the government needs to enforce and step in because, you know, people, people will we can't take care of ourselves, like the nanny state sort of argument. Or do you think that people should have free will uh, now that we are educated about this sort of system and should be allowed to do what they want? Or should that freedom be taken away from them? Which I know is like a super loaded argument. And I know that like some people can have a nuanced conversation and other people just find it very like inflammatory. But uh, start with you, Shaney. Yeah, I'm down for no freedom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be the quote. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, oh, man. But... There is a but. I do think that there should be things in place for businesses like mortgage freezes. Yeah. And yeah, it would be a perfect mortgage freeze if it could just freeze and then that person never has to pay for it again. But I'm sure there's something that could be worked out where the people doing the freeze can still make a little money down the line. And to me, that that would cause a lot of people not to be so desperate and to be doing these things because all the this guy's move which i think is very misguided and his his instagram post i've i found very idiotic he wouldn't feel the need to do something like that but he's desperate and he wants money Mm -hmm. to presumably you know stay alive because how do you do it if you have one of these businesses like you and i are fine but i don't know how i would react like i I could very well be doing something like that if i owned a a small business right now yeah maxi yeah, it's uh, they they seem uh, so. What I was saying before, it's like this this really delicate balance right now from the city, and it seems like they fucked this one up uh, because the outrage uh, that you feel from small businesses where the big box stores are getting stayed open that's the that's the narrative right now, and it's completely understandable. And they probably and even Doug Ford was like, "Yeah, I feel for them. Like we got to figure something out." So hopefully they figure something out quick because it's really a matter of being as like attentive to the needs and wants of people in a responsible way. And they, they, there's probably a balance that, that they could they could strike that wouldn't make people sick. All right. Well, guys, we've gone through like three topics plus a Mendez documentary and we still have Shane's surprise. So let's hit it as this hour wraps. I feel like this has been a... Keeping things moving. Like good episode. Good. good episode. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so Santa Claus. Uh, what do you guys feel about him? Uh, Kristen Bell just told her, I think she's got a daughter, that a three-year-old daughter, that Santa's not real. Mm. Like, do you think that's cool? Should we uh, keep this, this is a good topic. Santa? I like this. Should this... we keep this Santa myth going, or and and if so, how long should we keep it going? And how did you guys find out Santa wasn't real? If in fact he isn't. All right. So this is a hot button topic amongst yeah. Danica and I, and one of our original fights when we first started dating. Uh, <laughs> wow, you guys really had your future set out, eh? <laughs> or, or or you were wondering you didn't believe in Santa when you were dating Danica. I believe till I was 30. No, I'm kidding. I, I, uh, my outlook was basically, it was more of a question than basically a stance. But basically I said, I don't, I don't know if we should, like the Santa lie, and I'm sorry for any listeners that might still believe, is the first great lie that you were told as a child. And everybody's- warning off the top. <laughs> and everybody that you love is in on the conspiracy. Your parents, your grandparents, like your uncles, aunts, all that shit. Now- you guys say, oh, that's silly, whatever. And then you turn nine or whatever age you are and you figure out that it's not a lie. Of course you go, oh, well, that's nine? weird. No, I don't know. But it's like, do you, how do you internalize that? It's kind of weird that everyone just sort of like lies to you and it's like, it's for the greater good, but it's like, it's not a real thing. I actually, I actually have relatives who are religious and they, they said from the very start, Santa's not real, but Jesus is real. But we celebrate Santa as this fun thing that we do in society. So they were kind of very, so their kids have always been very like just hip to it. I guess they've been told not to tell other kids in their class because you don't want to ruin it. Anyway, long story long, Danica said I was being crazy and that I was ruining, a, you know, what could be a fun time and I'm overthinking it. And maybe I am. I, I'll acknowledge that. Uh, so ultimately, I'm we're going to I'm going to go along with the lie but I don't feel good about it. So Winona will believe in Santa as long as kids normally do until she naturally figures it out or some kid spoils it at school. When I figured it out, I was probably like 9, 8, 7, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. I actually I can't remember back that far, but I do know nobody told me. I know I sorted it out. I just don't know what age that was, but I sorted it out and I I asked my mom and she was like, "I don't know." And that I knew, like, I was like, oh, that's a weird answer. Like, you're not as mm-hmm. conf- you're not as confident as you had been every time you talk about Santa bringing us shit. And in some ways, it was nice because then I actually, like, Santa, like, you know, <laughs> we had limitations as far as presents. So now Santa wasn't letting us down. And I had realistic expectations for what we might be able to get <laughs> from mom and dad. Maxi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good question. Um, I don't have to deal with this as immediately as you guys do. And, um, yeah. Um... Yeah, kids live in such a fantasy world all the time. I hang out with my my two nephews, especially. They're just always talking about superheroes, and they get so carried away in that world. It really means a lot to them. And maybe I think I just wouldn't put as much stock into the idea. Like, let them sort of get carried away as as much as they want to, as much as their friends. And you go, oh yeah, this is great, but you kind of just don't comment on it so much. It's more like, yeah, Santa did some stuff. Okay, can we talk about what's <laughs> happening in the news? <laughs> Like, did you hear what the Raptors did? Fred bet on himself. Um, and, uh, and that's but what if they persist and they're like, no, no, but back to Santa, Max. Are you going to get me like, listen, <laughs> I'm excited about Fred too, Uncle Max, but let's go back to Santa for a second. <laughs> Maybe that's- Santa's not real. <laughs> back to Fred. Yeah. yeah, honestly, that that's actually like how every conversation goes with my my nephew, Lex, where he starts talking about some superhero thing. I just say to him, Lex, can we talk about something that I want to talk about? And then he kind of gets quiet. And then I go like, 
are you interested in the Raptors? And then he says, not really. And then he just starts talking about superheroes again. So yeah, I don't know how good I would be with this whole conversation <laughs> entirely because uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I remember liking Santa Claus, but I don't think I was particularly heartbroken when I found out that he wasn't real. So I think that's maybe the trick. Just don't build it up. Just make it into like, this is, it's about getting some presents. It's about hanging out with your family. It's about eating some good food. Sure. Santa comes around. And so when he when they find out that he's not real, it's not a big deal because you have because I think it's on you to not build up the legend. It's I think that's important. It's a great point. <laughs> you don't build up the legend of Fred Van of Fleet. Yeah, Fred, <laughs> yeah, but, but not Santa. <laughs> Freddie has a ring. I don't know what yeah. Santa's ever done for me. Also, um, I want the kid to know that it's rich Uncle Max paying for this awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's what I was just. I, say. I don't want Santa to get the, the the credit. Is that that's crazy? So, what are you guys going to do with Lou? We're. I think this day and age, you have till they're five years old tops. Like right. kids aren't believing about Santa past five now. Because yeah. they, they can get on the internet and find out. And you only have three and four where they really know. Right now, she's just learning about Santa. So, so, but you will sort of, will you sort of, when she asks you, let's say at five, five years old, she does hear some scuttlebutt at school that it's all a, a, a lie. When she comes home and asks you straight up, what are you going to say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>